Saved by Marner! Holy mackerel! It is Gilmore waiting, waiting around the net, waiting in the Gilmore! Johnny Toronto! I wonder if they can hear it on Long Island. Great move! What a goal! Beauty! Austin Matthews! Bless you boys! What a game! Welcome, everyone, to the MLHS podcast. It has been a very long time since we've been here. I feel like we should have bought the rights to the boys are back in town to get ready for this. Uh, my name is Anthony. Uh, most of you will know me. I'm here with Alec and Alex, which is going to be a tongue twister. Uh, Alec, I'll start with you. and I won't be able to say this all night, but how's it going? Not bad. I'm still kind of fired up coming off of last night's game i'm not gonna lie that was the sick 5-2 leaf chicago game for those of you who not know an absolute barn burner between elite hockey teams it's just that time of the season where it's like it's always a grind getting through this especially with like the where where the leafs are at as a team uh that gap between like the new year and the trade deadline is always kind of a grind the nhl season but then you, you add in the fact that it's like feels like they're playing every single team in the bottom five multiple times this month as well. And it's just been like, this is as hard as it gets to this is really test your dedication as a fan. This is like some of the worst scheduling. There's no way if you're Sheldon Keith, you can't be thrilled with it. It's nice to get the points at this time of the year, but I mean, this is not hockey. I, one of the funnier post games of his career as a leaf, just essentially saying that is not a real hockey game. So <laughs> I loved it. Uh, but Alex, we haven't heard your voice yet. How's it going on your end? Oh, uh, pretty good. Ready to talk some hockey as always. Yeah. So we are, uh, well, we're way over halfway through the season. We are under a month away from the trade deadline. The Leafs are grappling with the Tampa Bay Lightning for second place. They've played 55 games so far. So we're a good chunk of the season. And Alec, I'll kick it back to you. But how are we feeling about the season so far? I guess, what are we, 55 games in? It's kind yep. of, nothing's really surprising, I guess. Kind of, they've kind of taken a step back, I guess, if you looked at their overall points pace. I think they're at like 110 or 111 or something right now. That's despite significantly improved goaltending uh, statistically and then improved defensive metrics as well. But they're they're really good. There's nothing too surprising about their season. Um, I think maybe a couple things that are coming to mind recently watching them even again in these recent two games against uh columbus and chicago is the fact that even in the, i expect their top six to go and run over chicago on wednesday night like they did but there's just there's nothing coming out of the bottom six um i think i looked at the numbers like two weeks ago in a game in 10 and like it's a significant reduction in their overall secondary production when you look at their bottom six to seven forwards compared to last season um, and then I think the other thing that I think maybe explains a little bit of the small step back and the reason why they're in the dogfight you said for home ice with Tampa is just their special teams taking a bit of a step back too. But like the big four is the big four. I think Matthews is having like a bit of a weird year. Um, that game against Chicago kind of, it's kind of been how he's looked all year in terms of like, he's, he looks really good. I'm not really concerned about him, but he's just, it's strange how few like multi-goal years, multi-goal games he's had last year. I think he had like, I don't know what, 12 or 15 of them and 
I don't know what the number is now, but it, it was a lot like last night in terms of our Wednesday night, rather, where he has uh, won so far this season, I believe. It's that's crazy to me. Like I never would I wouldn't have bet a million dollars on um him having that few like I would have he he had probably like ten at this point last year. He so was it, he was my prediction for the goal scoring leader in the in the league because I just I looked at it and I said I just can't logically pick another player at this it, point. I mean, maybe McDavid, but Matthews is a better goal scorer than him. It's weird because uh it, like that Chicago game reminded me a lot of games where I'm like, oh, he's going to go off tonight. It's Hattrick night. And then it just doesn't really happen. I don't really know how to explain it. Um, I don't think it's really a problem, but it it, no. it is, it is to some extent, I think a contributing part of why their offensive numbers overall are down at five on five. Like one of the best even strength scores in the game, usually the best is just not, you know, dominating in that area as much as he normally would. Uh, Willie, uh, Willie Nylander's career year kind of offsets that a little bit. Um, JT's JT, Marner's Marner. My concern is just the bottom six or seven forwards right now. I just don't think that's good enough, and it's not going to be good enough against Boston, Tampa Bay when push comes to shove. I don't think. Yeah, that's fair. And you know, Matthews had sixty last year, so we everyone knows that. And uh, you know, any dip in that, it's it's notable. So it's you know, it's not a problem, but it would be irresponsible not to note. You know, he's been a little bit in and out of the lineup this year. Hasn't exactly looked the same. What that means for the playoffs or anything, I don't really think it means much at all. But to not say anything about it whatsoever would, I think, be irresponsible. It's a big it's a big gap. You think about like it's 40, whatever his pace is, 38, 39 goals right now or something compared to 60 and then 20 or 30 points less. It's no, yeah. it's definitely, yeah, it has to be noted as a part of the overall picture when it comes to their offensive numbers being down but at, you know we can get into like i the numbers by the way were like i think their bottom six or seven forwards are on pace for 18 or 19 fewer goals yeah they never they never brought in anyone better than mikhaev after losing mikhaev that's just the truth spetsa akasha gave them some low-key production when he was actually healthy uh Ker- kerfoot had a career year these things there's a lot of these things are predictable yarn croak was not going to replace McKayev straight up. Um, and that was really the only move they made to address the scoring depth of the team in a serious way. So I, it, it's nothing through 55 games surprises me in the least. It's just they need one impact forward and one depth forward who's better than what they currently have. Right before I throw it to you, Alex, I will say this isn't surprising, but I think they've done a pretty good job navigating the injuries. Like We just mentioned that Matthew's been out of the lineup. The goaltending has obviously been injured. I, on one hand, yes, you have to note the Muzzin injury, but at the same time, I think anyone that expected him to play more than 40 games this year is lying. So I only give them so much leeway on that one. But that said, Riley has missed time. Brody has missed time. I mean, they've missed a ton of guys. Um, They've only, Matthews is really the only big four forward that they've missed. So sometimes I think the total man's game loss conversation can be a little bit disingenuous when, I mean, Straight up, your four best players are in the lineup. I mean, does who does it matter if you're missing the fifth best player and it's an offensive defenseman? Like it hurts, but it's not the end of the world. That said, I think they've done a pretty good job navigating um a whole collection of injuries. But I'll throw it to you, Alex. What do you think? What are you seeing so far? Yeah, I mean, I want to build on that briefly. I mean, I think one of my biggest takeaways from the first half is that like TJ Brody is such an important part of this lineup. Like, you want to talk about injuries, like Riley being out, sure, but 
Brody, like their difference in, in their defensive team play, their ability to suppress shots. I mean, if you just go and you look at their performances and the expected goals numbers in games where he's in the lineup versus out, he is really important. And that's been one of my biggest takeaways. And and building off of that on the injury note, you know, they really haven't had a ton of games in which all of their defensemen were healthy at the same time. And that has kind of, you know, obscured the ability to kind of get a feel for, for the defense as a whole. Um, and then I think my other takeaway uh, would be the goaltending, where you have Murray and Samsonov both miss games, Murray more so in back sort of injured now not sure exactly what the status there is but um you know with Samsonov in particular he's played really well to me and like that was you go back to the start of the season and we talk about the scope of these these first 50 some games my biggest question was goaltending and the fact we're at the deadline and no one's talking about getting a goaltender that's a big deal that that shows that a big question with this team has been addressed for now that it feels like this is going to be the guy to go into the playoffs. Who knows how he'll do, but it's at least a, a not enough of a, of a fire that uh, they have to focus resources there. So that's kind of, that's a big deal. And also the fact I saw this poll on, on Twitter from a Leafs account. It was like at the start of January, it was like Murray or Samsonov. And it was like 70% Murray. And then they did again, start of February. And it's like 75, 80% Samsonov. Like that, that shift kind of happened and it didn't really get noticed as it, it, big of a deal as it was that, that he kind of ran away with it. So that's that's my other big, big takeaway. I know I know what you're saying for the goaltending. You sit there and go. Yeah, it's not it's not a problem. It's not last year where fans are feverishly debating whether the Leafs should acquire Marc-Andre Fleury because Jack Campbell's crumbling and needs to go on vacation and leave the team for a week to feel better about himself and come back and hopefully get his head right. At the same time, I think anyone that says they feel great about the goaltending situation or even remotely above good going into the playoffs is probably posturing to some degree. I mean, the the tough thing is, again, they don't have any layups, right? You're not going in the first round. You're not Colorado last year playing Nashville without UC Saros, no less. You're playing Tampa, so... The toughest thing is you're it's Ilya Samsonov is going up against Andre Vasilevsky and their stacked roster. I mean, I know that they've lost some depth and some key players, but the the top of their lineup is still absolutely lights out. And yep. you let you you look at it and say, but what are you gonna do? What goalie are you possibly gonna bring in? And I don't think there's anyone, essentially. You know, it's if you were to get Vegmelka from Arizona. I'd still say this exact same conversation. So I I don't know. Just kind of it's been good enough that I don't think people should complain about it. I just I will go into the playoffs and say I have no idea what's going to happen here. I kind of feel the same way about defense and goaltending in that respect. Obviously, there's bigger question marks on back on uh sorry in net than on the back end. But it it's it's such a weird. We were talking about earlier like the regular season non mattering and how hard it is to get through some of these games. But like, like ultimately it's like, I guess you could take some solace in the fact that Samsonov's played well against top teams and other elite goaltenders, but you know, that's, you're still going to be watching through your fingers in the playoffs. And uh, on the back end, I kind of feel like we're preparing for this, this separate entity, like this is separate challenge of elite teams inside this 
mini tournament in the spring. It's a different sport. But it's I a completely people... different reality than what we're looking at night to night in the regular season. And that makes me think about the defense in a different way as well sometimes because it's like, I think this gets underplayed a little bit. To your point, maybe nobody was expecting Muzzin to have a fully healthy season anyway, but it is noteworthy that Muzzin played the entire playoff series last year against Tampa Bay, and he will not be doing that this year. And two goals in that series. Exactly what I was about to say. He scored twice. I thought he was really good. I didn't expect him to be. I thought he was going to be. Thought it was going to be. I thought we're going to. It was going to be asking a lot, frankly, given that he was in and out of the lineup and so on. That he could play really credible shutdown minutes, but he found sort of a way to elevate again. Thought he was really good, and now you kind of like the Leafs papered it over better than I expected when he was hurt and when Riley was hurt when Brody was hurt because Giordano and Hull stepped up so well and. Lily, uh, Lilgren, and to a lesser extent, Sandine, I guess, have taken some some noticeable strides. So it was impressive how the kind of by committee approach came together and they were able to basically not skip a beat. I think that is a testament to sort of their maturity as a team and the depth of their blue line. Still, as like a group of six, like where you're looking down, staring down the gauntlet of Tampa Bay and Boston, you're saying like Giordano's 39, he's going to be playing every other night incredibly grueling style of game in the playoffs. Uh, Justin Hull's not going to carry his own pairing. He's scratched the other night. Um, Sandine and Lilgren have, again, I'm encouraged greatly. And I don't think, I think Lilgren's very close to becoming a top four defenseman full time. Um, but, you know, we're talking about the spring and you're, there's, there's a real scenario in which if you had a kid pairing like that, you might be sheltering them or protecting them against the, the Tampa Bay's and the Boston's of the world. So you can't even shelter in the playoffs. I think it's, it, you, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. You can't, that's fair. That's how fair. are you going to shelter them against Tampa in Tampa? Cooper I just, cool, just, I just mean like the whole blue line's kind of built around having three balanced pairings in a way. Um, in terms of the distribution of minutes and responsibilities. And then you get to the playoffs and it's like, they're like Chinawith and Keith, they're going to lean really hard right now. If it is, as it is today on Giordano and Hall, uh, for shutdown minutes, um, and I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's good enough. If they need one more piece on the blue line, so that you have, you know, if it is like we'll throw Gavrikov out there, but I'm no means by no means married to him. But if you did add him, you'd have sort of the ability to go Giordano, Lilgren, and Gavrikov, Hull, or flip those two, and then you know what you have in Riley Brody, and you're like, okay, I could see how this could survive a seven game series against one of those teams. So it's kind of like the regular season. I think this group of six is more than good enough for them to win a lot of games. Um, it's a good it's regular a, season. Yeah, but game well, defense. how does it stack up in the in the playoffs? Just like the question with goaltending, it's like we're by and large we're just sort of sitting and waiting and seeing. And I think based on what Duba said, defense right now is probably more of a if he could add a piece that made sense long term, he might do it. But I don't think he's just going to add to add. So. Um, maybe that branches into like the whole trade deadline discussion. If you guys want to jump on that. So, so before we do, I just want to, I want to touch on a few points of kind of where I'm at. I know I chimed in while you're both going there about the season so far. One, I just following up on your Muslim point. I just, I don't think the, I don't think he gets enough respect for how good he's been since getting acquired. I mean, him getting injured against Columbus was essentially the start of the disaster of that yeah. series. And he got hurt in game six and it infinitely it, hearts sunk after that injury in, in overtime. It, it They missed him when they actively were nervous, which is the very nice way of me putting it 
in game seven and Muzzin as a two-time cup champ would have been about the only guy who wouldn't have actively embarrassed himself throughout that game. Uh, and we saw that time and again with his playoff performances. Um, honestly, of, of all the playoff moments that have happened over the past, like since Muzzin's been with the team, a top three moment for me was him just absolutely destroying Tory Krug on principle alone, just him. He also scored, him. Do you remember he, he kicked off that comeback against, Montreal as well, yeah. where they should have ended yeah. the series uh, with yeah. two, two goals in that game. Yeah, he was. I, I think he's also he, their. I think he's also their best penalty killer. He's a legitimate gamer, and I I know it. To be honest, I people sit there and, and they go, "Okay, we're just waiting for the the Muzzin news to, that he's confirmed out for the season. Like it's good news." And I know he's been hanging around the team, and I there's a part of me that says they would entirely love him to come back. Like, like I think everyone just views it as like this cap space thing and um, LTIR and yeah, we just shut Muzzin down and, and like, that's great. Then we can attack the trade deadline and like, as if Muzzin is a totally overrated or whatever player, like, like if Muzzin were to come back and I don't think that's going to happen, but if he were able to get his legs out from under him and, and work his way back in, which would be very hard to do, he would entirely be a welcome addition. And I know Alex is kind of grunting, so I'll give him a chance huh. to, respond you know, I, I no i i totally agree with you i mean i love jake muzzin when he was at his peak and and playing really really well and he gave him a, a great series against tampa no question what i felt this year was that they kind of maybe dodged a bullet having him be injured the way he was as opposed to potentially being on a continual decline and in and out of the lineup every few weeks and Having this, like if if you could, you, you know what you just said, if he could come back and be his old self, like I'd take it in a heartbeat, like no question about it. But Muzzin last year in the regular season, especially that <laughs> sort of second half of the regular season before the concussions was not very good. And then he came back and again, it was incredible how well he played given the baseline that season. But my worry coming into the year was like, what happens if this guy loses another gear? And Keefe still is relying on him to kill penalties and do this stuff, and he just can't hack it anymore. And he's in and out of the lineup, and he's banged up. He's out for a month. He's back. And so I feel like if he was just continuing to decline, getting it out of the way and getting it just over with would be better than watching it play out. Because that's a hard thing, right? A guy who's a team leader, a respected player, when a guy's declining like that, it's hard to just shelter him or take him out of the lineup in those situations. So if that was going to be the trajectory and given his age and the miles on the tires there, very reasonable to expect it was possible, then the Leafs might have gotten lucky. But obviously it's not lucky to lose a player of that caliber. It's just a matter of was that a realistic thing given his age? It's it's a fair counterpoint that the things and and he did look genuinely really bad. At, for large stretches of that season of the limited time that he did play to the point where everyone was crucifying Justin Hole, and I was sitting there going Muzzin's legitimately been worse and when Muzzin went out of the lineup Hole actually looked much better and people stopped complaining about him so that that's fair he is probably what I would almost consider the anti-leaf of the past little bit here where on a Tuesday in November he's going to look like shit and slow and then in crunch time and the playoffs, when the games tighten up, he's much better. Like, like we're saying like old Muzzin, like I'm literally saying like last spring in the playoffs, like not four years ago, legitimately last spring, he was very good. 
And we go into this Tampa series, and I think a lot of people look at it like it's going to be the same. And in fairness, Tampa lost Ryan McDonough, which is significant for them. He's very He was very good for them over the past three years, and there's no getting around that. But there's also no getting around the Leafs also losing what playoff Jake Muzzin was to them. And anytime he was out, they felt it. And he was quite good in that series. So it's it's a noteworthy piece. And, and I don't think that they have replaced what Muzzin... I mean, if you look at their defense last year, Muzzin, or in that playoff series, Muzzin was on the second pair with Hole. Now it's Giordano. Back last season, Giordano was on the third pairing. And so that dynamic of that grouping, but at the same time, last playoff, Riley was playing with Ilya Labushkin and you had Muzzin with Brody. So you will, if you are asking Riley to play with Brody against Tampa's top players, and I know it's going to happen to some degree because Riley's going to play his 24 minutes a night or whatever it is. But I think if you're asking him to be in the shutdown role, quote unquote, and then also produce offense, you're going to be in trouble. So you're kind of, it's, it's, you're almost like you're hedging Riley slightly with Brody. I don't want to say protecting him. Cause I think that's a little too far disrespectful to Riley, but you know, you are giving him a really good player to help support him. And now your set, your shutdown pairing went from Muzzin Brody to Mark Giordano and Justin hole. I mean, that is a notable drop off. So we'll park the defense for a second. Cause I know, you guys will want to talk about potential candidates and all that. But the only other thing I look at, I mean, the top four studs, Nylander fully has taken a step. It legitimately enjoyable to watch. Like he's probably been my favorite part of this season. Straight up. Like I've actually, I've really enjoyed watching him play. I think he's actually very quietly their actual best player at driving the net with the puck. Like for all the crap that he got before he used to loop under behind the net all the time. It drove everybody nuts you know, passing up shot attempts or uh, there would be a plays where he would have like a half step on a defender. And when that defender put his head down and tried to bust and catch back, he would stop up or settle for a shot from the top of the circle or whatever. He doesn't do that anymore. He drops his shoulder. He sticks his leg out. He protects the puck. He takes it hard to the net. I mean, these are the big time things that if uh power forward of note, whatever was doing it, I think people would fawn over it. He's obviously not a power forward per se, but, but the way he takes the puck to the net, like he's heavy on it. He's an amazing skater. I've really enjoyed it. The tough thing is going into the season, he kind of did what to some degree, what I said he was going to do in the summer, which was you have your top guys and you're going to take this skeleton roster of, of sorts, knowing that the roster that you start the season with is going to be significantly different than the roster you end the season with after you make moves and you're going to see if any of these Marlies stick. And to Alex, Alec, as we go this Alec, Alex nonsense, AB and AD, I'm going to go with that. Still too similar. <laughs> yes. Like, holy, holy shit. AB's point, Brownsgum's point about <laughs> the bottom six is in the, nobody's grabbed a spot. Nobody has absolutely slam dunk. Pontus Holmberg for a very, for a, a good chunk of time, his first 20 odd games was very interesting to me. And I rookie, think he's, the rookie wall was inevitable though. Yeah. Sure. I think he's a nice prospect and I really like him and his overall long-term potential, but for literally just this season and by this season, I really just mean this playoffs. 
he doesn't have a he doesn't have a locked in spot to me. If they if they acquired some depth guys of note, I would shrug my shoulders and be like, yeah, Holmberg sits and it just is what it is. Like, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to lose one second of sleep over it. And then, you know, Nick Robertson got hurt. Bummer. He's done. Alex Steves has been. How many bad teams do you have to play until you make a you, you put like a stamp on a game? Like what happens against a good team? Bobby McMahon was big and finished checks and it stood out like a sore thumb until it didn't because he eventually, you know, and I know he was snake a little bit and maybe a few bounces go his way, but it, he definitely can't play on the third line. And I don't know if he's bought in enough yet to a role where he's extremely physical to be on the fourth line because it's not going to be producing offense. That's very clear. And you just kind of go down the line. It's like Nicholas Obkubel didn't work out. Thank God we're done with this Dennis Malgan experiment. That was insane. Shouldn't have had a roster spot from the beginning. That was obvious to most people. Um, you just kind of, you go down and it's, it's, and you just shrug, you, you know, Zach Austin Reese to me is a professional hockey player. He takes shifts. He's not a liability. He can't score worth anything. I think if he was on, if he had line mates that were more physical, I think it would make him more physical. But as it is, I'd watch him in random scrums by himself and go, you know, he has a limit and he knows it which is fair. I think he can be your 12th forward, but some of the, some of the times they're addressing lineups where I'm going, he's their 10th best forward. And that's a problem. Joey Anderson takes shifts. He's like, I don't want to say he's a poor man's Zach Austin Reese, but it's close. <laughs> and that like, that's it. Like there just, no one's grabbed a spot. Pierre Engvall's had a solid season. Great. Like I think Pierre Engvall can play hockey. He hasn't shown anything in the playoffs, so I can't, give him any benefit of the doubt, but yeah, so far he's had a good regular season. I think playoff camp can be a thing. There was playoff camp last year. That was real. Like it was legitimately real. Not something to be betting on. No, I can't. I wouldn't bet on it. And I don't think he should be their third line center, but, and I don't think they did either. Right. When they started the season, he was their fourth line center. They knew that. And then the third line was so bad that they just went, holy cow, at least David camp, like salvage it and make it not pathetic. It was really been... obvious. It was really obvious that they have a serious bottom six issue against Columbus and Chicago because, like, that second game against Columbus, Keith barely played them. The, they got benched. They got benched. the the uh, The third line got benched, and the fourth line barely played against the the first game against Chicago. Like, they he knowingly threw together a line that he just like shrugged his shoulders and like I got to play somebody down there, but. We're just going to hit the fast forward button until the next shift and hope they don't hurt you. Like Zach Aston, Reese Holmberg, and or, sorry, what was it? Sorry, it was uh, Aston, Reese, Holmberg, and Anderson. Is that the, the latest one in Chicago against Chicago? These are, there's whatever it was, it's totally meaningless lines. It's just placeholders. Um, so to me, like to your point, like I think you want to have one of Aston, Reese, Holmberg, Steves, Anderson, or Gadad in your lineup. So that means necessarily two upgrades. One up the lineup, probably forcing everyone to slot in a little more naturally. Yeah. And it then, was Anderson for the record. They yeah, just yeah. they put Kerfoot up and did that fake Kerfoot's a left winger in the top six crap and then tried Yarncrock on the third line. So you have one maybe you have one addition that forces everyone down a peg. Then I also think they need an additional just fourth line guy who's better than what they have, who can play some PK and give you ideally like a right-handed shot option like whether that's like your Lafferty or your Achari 
something along those lines. I think they need to do both things. Yeah, I think part of it too is, uh, and it feels like, uh, it can feel at times like it's like people are getting down on them or, or nitpicking. And the reality is it, it, you're looking at Tampa, Boston, Carolina slash the Rangers, maybe New Jersey, I don't know. And then whoever comes out of the West, like it's an insane path. And so the margins are are crazy thin. Like it's to the point where you have to nitpick these things. You can't schlep them off. You know, the top guys are what they are. There's not much to say. They're going to go up against Tampa's top guys and uh, we'll see if they get it done. But you, you can't ask them to completely win against Tampa's top guys and also make up for your bottom six getting absolutely dummied as they did last year. So, you know, you need to kind of even it out a little bit. I, you know, like their top, their top guys were generally good last year against Tampa. They still lost because they didn't get enough from the rest of the lineup and the power play sucked, which is on the top guys. But you know, that's, it's a combo. It's a combo of both. You can't just ask the top guys to do everything. It can't just, it can't just be you guys. And it's, and it's just that there's no cup team that wins like that. We just the history all time of the sport. So you kind of build it out and, and go ideally, like, you know, the top six winger I could live without to some degree and just say, whatever, it's fine. Like it, Callie Yarncroft can shoot. If nothing else, he can shoot. And the guys that he plays with are good enough to get him the puck. I'm not saying he's great in that spot, but he's he's a legit 20 guy, 20 goal guy in that spot. He's never been in his career, but he's he can play to a 20 goal pace in that spot. But the third line can't. The the problem is none of these guys can drive a line. Alex Kerfoot can't. Kelly Yarncroft can't. David Camp isn't good enough offensively. You could squint and say maybe Pierre Engvall is good enough too. And he shows that at times, but he's just been such a no-show in the playoffs three straight times that if the plan is Pierre Engvall's carrying the third line and it backfires and you lose, that's a fireable offense to me. So where does that leave you in terms of, like, if you add a pure winger, I, I'm not sure that bumping Yarn, like, we haven't seen a single shred of evidence that Yarncroft in the third line and any sort of permutation they've created elevates it in some way where you suddenly have like a competent third line that can give you good secondary minutes. So then, I mean, that's why I always get, I always wonder like Timo Meyer sounds like a great idea, not just because of this season, but I think they have an actual long-term hole at left wing. Like Michael Bunting's not signed beyond the season. Nick Robertson's mostly on LTIR all the time since he turned pro. Um, Like there's not, there's, there's no, succession plan there right now so i think he's a short-term need and a long-term need but the thing that if they did move their chips in and get him i still sit there and go they kind of need a three c still yeah getting a really good winger that then doesn't play on the first power play unit most likely because i'm assuming that they would not run five forwards against tampa bay in the playoffs i think they would get absolutely tilted on that like legitimately but at least two shorthanded goals against if they ran that for six seven games which is entirely problematic and so th- that part I've always hemmed and hawed about going, well, if he's not playing power play one, I mean, what are you getting out of him? And I feel, you know, like he's, everyone knows he's good. So no one's like talking about this, but like to me, all like price aside is just perfect. Everything is just Ryan O'Reilly, but I'll, I'll, before I delve into that, I'll 
go over to Alex. Yeah, I mean, on the, the bottom six points that were brought up, my worry is exactly what Alec was saying about Yarn Croak moving down the lineup. Like, that's it, you know, at the beginning of the year, remember, he was playing down the lineup and it was Awful. just a, a catastrophe. Like, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get anything from that. I, the one thing I do, uh, am kind of interested in, and this is the Yarn Croak mold in, uh, looking at Tampa specifically is I want guys, especially in the bottom six, that have a little bit of finishing ability. Like you talk about this Tampa series. If you've looked at their underlying metrics, their defense has not been great this year. And if you've watched their, if you watched the games with the Leafs and, and Tampa Leafs have gotten plenty of chances, it's going to be, can you get those past Vasilevsky? And that's where I like Yarn Croak having that really good shot. Cause there's a chance he could chip in. And so when I'm talking about a bottom six ad, I'd like a guy that has a, just a little bit of shooting talent and can maybe give you something there as opposed to a play driver who isn't going to produce anything. Cause you know, Pierre Engvall's already that. And they this management tried... group is great at finding those guys, by the way. Yeah. I mean, Mik- <laughs> Mikheyev was the same thing in the playoffs, right? I mean, Mikheyev could get looks, but none of them ever went in, in the, in the playoffs. So I would like to see a guy that, that has a little bit of, of finishing juice and maybe multiple of them, just, just cause I think you're going to need that, especially if you're not getting a ton of it from your defense, like they haven't gotten a ton of goals from the defense. And so you're just going to need a little bit more, I think, to, to translate those chances in, into goals. Yeah, and that's why I like the third-line center idea because they already have two lines. Whether they And I know if they... I understand if they get Timo Meyer that it makes them that much better. I'm completely aware of that. But it's still two lines. I'd still be, I'd still be wondering what happens with line three. And if you get through Tampa... Boston on their third line runs Taylor Hall and Charlie Coyle. I mean, you're going to tell me Alex Kerfoot is going up against them with Pierre Engvall on his wing. I, I just, I don't personally see it. I just, I don't like, I, I don't know what else to say. I just, where have we been for the past couple of years? If that's what we're watching confidently and going into. So I, I look at, like all things considered, that's why I'd go back to O'Reilly, and I feel I feel like he's just getting completely disrespected. I feel like this is Hampus Lindholm last year, where people are watching him on a really bad Anaheim team, and they're they're going, "Oh, he's not that good anymore." And then he goes, he walks onto Boston, and he's instantly sick. And Charlie McAvoy misses the first part of this season, and myself included, is going. Boston will probably just tread water until McAvoy returns and Lindholm goes, nah, I'm playing on a good team now. And I'm going to be just absolutely like, I think he was, was he leading all D men in scoring in the first month of the season? He was very close to it. If he wasn't like he, he was, he was lights out good because he is very good and he was a good player on a shit team. And that's like the disrespect on O'Reilly is insane. Like he's a cup winning captain, first line center, con Smythe winner, he can do everything. He's a total gamer. He plays the exact way you want. I mean, you couldn't even like dream kid. Tell me that Matthews Tavares and O'Reilly could be the potential center situation with David camp, even as your fourth center, which would be just nuts. I mean, no one's touching that. No one in the league could come close to that center group. I I just wonder if Taves is really similar in terms of, checking a lot of those boxes you just listed and for sure with for his sure, cap yes. hit 
and his control and the fact that he's basically just going to point to a team and say, deal me here. And then that team gets to decide what they send. I mean, they have to work in a third party broker and pay the, the price to get a double retention most likely. But beyond that, it's basically like Davidson, you can tell he's pushing to try. He's like, I'll retain on McCabe. I need a second for Lafferty because he's not expecting almost anything. I don't think from Kane and Tames. A, he doesn't know if they're going to be willing to go. B, he knows he's going to deal with mark very, very tiny markets, possibly just one team when it comes it, to trading those guys. So I, it I honestly think sounds like they're free. It honestly sounds like they're free. It at this is point. if you can pull off the retention piece and they and they pick you as the team that they want to play on, you pretty much are going to get them. I think for like a mid round, a couple mid round picks, like both Kane and Taves, I'm referring to. Which is which is wild. I mean, the tough thing is, is I'd like to see Patrick Kane show a little something. So there was a game, or like there when they played in MSG earlier this year, Kane put on a show. Like he was actually sick. It, I watched that game, and and you could go look at the highlights and whatever. And I sat there and went, "This is a guy saying, come get me. I'm I'm still good.'" And not quite so the same I, on on Wednesday. No. Then that that's the thing, right? I was watching against the Leafs, and I was I wondered, oh, would Kane have a bit of a night? or show a little something. And I mean, I, at first I completely dismissed the idea of Kane, like just straight up, I'll, you know, small skilled winger, not defensive. It's like the last thing I think of when I think of what the Leafs need. But then the more I thought about it, I also went, you know, this guy's a complete gamer. I mean, I'm pretty sure he has more playoff points than the entire Leafs roster combined. It's very close. The playoff pedigree though, is entirely noteworthy he is the exact kind of creator that and he's able to create in the ways that the Leafs have struggled in tight space where teams pack the house and they pack the neutral zone. And, he, and I still think he very much has the ability to slice and dice through that and get pucks through and understand playoff offense and be a guy like he earned he earned the Showtime moniker right? that. You know, sometimes guys get things, your names, and you go, mm, that's that's a lie. But Kane was legitimately Showtime. I, I still think he can dial it in, but he needs to show that too. That he can't be dogging it here going into the deadline because, like, I mean, it wasn't just him. There, the entire effort of that team was embarrassing. It's it's hard to know where him bailing on puck battles and giving up on Blaze like he was all Wednesday night is him mailing it in. Like he legitimately yeah. sounds borderline depressed in interviews when you hear him talk. He, he looked like a greeter at Walmart watching Nylander skate <laughs> yeah. by him before. It was like honestly, like I think like it's show Dubis's, him where the uh, deals are. I think it's do. I think it's Dubis's job a job to do the due diligence on how much of it is him mailing it in, how much of it is related to the hip injury. Yeah, he the hip is a real thing. Ultimately, has to get a really solid answer on that before he's pursuing anything. But I think to your point. People like I got a strange amount of pushback when I suggested on Twitter that like this, if they could convince him that this was the place to come, they could get him for a song. That's it's really worth considering. Because that's I think the thing, if you like go, if you're getting him for free, basically. And if you go like he's going from an environment, which we saw what that environment is last night. Yeah. To one where it's a team that has the puck a ton. It's one of the, the league's best teams in terms of ozone possession time. But for all the puck possession they have, they struggle to break through with enough scoring in the playoffs when the games get really, really tight. Who's a player that comes to mind <laughs> who's really good yeah. at creating inside that environment and creating game-breaking moments? Or, and it's not like he has to come here and be Patty Kane of his prime, who's their be- the team's best winger. He's going to be their fourth best forward. Like, 
or fifth. Yeah, sorry. So it's <laughs> fourth. I was like, holy cow, <laughs> tell me who you think. <laughs> I'm just going to go full Kiprios on Nylander here. But, um, <laughs> but like to me, it's it's very much worth exploring. But I, it's kind of similar to the Meyer conversation in that it would have to be. And then what in terms of like, is it Kane and Taves or is it Kane and Barabanov or sorry, and uh, Barbashev, Barabanov, geez, bad flashbacks. If, if it's if it's both, like, I, I don't know how anyone wouldn't be extremely pumped i mean honestly you're not asking again you're not asking those guys to come in and be studs you're asking taves to be the third line center and you're asking kane to be arguably the sixth best forward i mean it's not like bunting is a respectable player but you you know like yeah i'm not i'm not delusional about the guy or anything but sure like kane would be on the second line whatever like like you're asking those guys to be your sixth and seventh best forwards. I think they're capable. Like Kane had 92 points last year. He's not a bum. Tabe's as long as the hip is okay. 25 goals right now. Yeah. As long as the hip is okay. And as long as whatever is ailing Taves right now, isn't like legitimately serious. I think you have something. The, the other guy that I'll throw out, which I know is a popular one is Adam Henrique, who I think if you could get Anaheim to retain, cause he has another year left at 5.8. I th- I think he again he checks boxes for me. He was very good when Jersey went to the Cup. He was a total gamer. I still think he has it. He was very good for Canada in the World Championships when they won. I watched that entire tournament. I know it meant a lot to him as captain. I know he was struggling because that was the year he went on waivers, and he he's been legitimately good. Again, another player in a situation where um, you would really have to debate who's embarrassing themselves more between the Chicago roster and the Anaheim roster. And the stunning thing is Arizona, who's on a win streak, I've actually found entirely entertaining this year. I've watched way more Arizona games than I care to admit publicly, but I actually think that they're at least somewhat entertaining. I think Anaheim and Chicago fully embarrassed themselves, and I think Columbus is very much getting to that path right now. But I think Henrique can play, and I'll shade to Alex here because I, I saw him nodding along when when I mentioned Henrique's name. Yeah, I mean, Henrique, the interesting thing with him is you know, Anthony, you brought up a good point with with Lindholm, and I've grown particularly suspicious of the idea of team effects, especially with analytics. I mean, we saw that not just with Lindholm, but Giordano last year when he came over to Toronto, his offensive metrics in a lot of the advanced models were atrocious, like zeroth, first, second percentile. By the end of the year, he was up to twenty twenty fifth, and that was from fifteen games on the Leafs. Like, it could it be because just, he was? Could it be because he was playing with a bunch of fourth liners on Seattle, yeah. I wonder? So yeah. does playing with better players make you a better hockey player? Yeah. I just Did analytics uncover this? Yeah, so so the analytics, right, they're supposed to isolate individual impacts, but there's still a blind spot there. And so I've become attuned to that. But the interesting thing with Henrique is that unlike Ryan O'Reilly, his analytics are actually like really good. And I remember Dmitry Filipovich from the PDO cast shared some some numbers and like when he's on the ice, Anaheim's like low key decent. And when he's not on the ice, it's an HL apocalypse. Team. They're yeah. NHL hal- like, caliber. Yeah. So if that's a guy who's already on a terrible team and he's and he's still being able to tilt the ice substantially compared to his teammates, like I'm interested. The term I'm interested in. So I like him a lot. And obviously with him, you don't have the injury questions that you have with all those other guys. Like O'Reilly, I like absolutely, but he also had a broken foot. Is that what it was? He was out he's, for... He's back, though. He's he, back. He, is, he is back. And the nice thing is, I was looking at this earlier, the Blues play like almost every other day until the deadline. So you're going to get like a 
five to 10 game window here to get a sense of if he's really going again. But the truth with O'Reilly is you think about the way he plays. He's a guy at the end of every playoff game. He's got a cut open nose, you know, and a couple marks on his on his face, too. Like, you know, he's a gamer. He's a tough, tough, gritty guy. And so I would just be worried about the risk of re-injury there and, and that sort of thing with a guy at his age. Henrique, you know, has less of those questions. So that's why I kind of like him quite a bit, although less pedigree. And O'Reilly comes with all of it. So do the Blackhawks guys. So, you know, I could be talked into any of them. The, the questions for, for Kane and Taves, especially with Dubas, is this is a deadline where you trust your pro scouts. You trust your pro scouts to sit there and say, does this guy still have it? And if you think he does, then you make a move. But you also don't want to be Felino. Obviously, these guys are way better than Felino ever was at their peak. But you you have to be cautious, uh, especially when injuries I, I think are involved. The, I, I, have, I have a thing with the Felino discourse because i i think it's totally garbage i actually think that was the best roster that dubas put together um felino got hurt like he couldn't he literally could not walk he could not walk from the bench to the dressing room he was crawling in the hallway i mean that is right entirely tragic he came and he had four points in four games and he fit in like a glove on that first line like michael bunting it will never at his peak i think be as good as nick felino was at his peak and Nick Felino wasn't that player then when they acquired him, but he was still very good and still very much a really good defensive forward that can chip in offensively. Like, I think that fit with Matthews and Marner was better than what Bunting has brought him. And that's not a slight on Bunting. It's just to say I I hold Felino in high regard until he got hurt. And it's been nice to see his career rebound this year, by the way. And that would have put Hyman on the third line with Mikheyev. I mean, their third line would have had Mikheyev and Hyman. And now we're looking at, and Engvall would have been the center, which is hilarious. And now we're looking at a third line with Engvall, the best player, and then Camp, and then maybe Kerfoot. So I don't know, like I people, a lot of people complain about the Felino thing, and, and I understand it backfired. And it was like, what could you do if you were Dubas? I mean, Tavares got hurt. It wasn't Felino a great deadline hurt. either. It was like, you were just no. talking yeah. about Felino versus Hall was like basically what it came down to, right? Yeah, and Hall stayed healthy, and Felino didn't, and neither did Tavares. And Them's I the mean, breaks. and also it was the year to do it. There, if there was ever a yep. year to sort of stray from your, I don't give up first round picks for rentals. That was the year. But yeah, <laughs> the team just completely let him down in the most spectacular to, way possible. To me, this is the year too. I mean, uh, I, I've said this before. I, I've never once looked back on the Pat Quinn era and said, "Oh man, I can't believe he gave up." fucking Brad boys or whoever. I don't care. I mean, they from 1999 to 2004, they won the second most playoff games of any team in the league. They were constantly in and around it. There's probably never been a more exciting trade deadline in at least Brian my age than Brian Leach. Yeah. Like Brian Leach was shut down what you were doing for the week. And let's just talk about the roster and the playoff path and how good the Leafs looked that year. And the the leech cam, everything. I, it was it was nuts. Did he score in his first game too? I feel like. He uh the hype was remember they had that incredible. five on three with McCabe where McCabe kept wanting Leach to shoot and he kept giving it to him and then yeah. McCabe was like, Fuck <laughs> it, I'm just gonna score. And then instantly looked at Leach like I wanted you to do it, and Leach was just like, I don't care. <laughs> like it was it was lights out. But the point is, is I don't think I think what you regret is when you have the team and you don't go for it. I don't think you regret when you have the team 
and like and you just decide to hold your chips to yourself like the whole point of this of everything is winning the cup it's you know i understand there's a level of sustainability and you have to calculate okay we can't just you know clear everything out but i mean colorado gave up a lot last year at the deadline tampa has given up a lot over the past few years you think tampa fans are crying about two cups and another cup final but you think you think Tampa, you think Colorado fans are going, oh man, I can't believe we gave up this prospect and that's equivalent to Nick Robertson and this prospect that's whatever. And like, they don't know, they don't care. They, they, I I think it's been so long since there's been any sort of winning in Toronto that I think fans have lost the perspective of what like actual playoff winning is like. And, you know, I, I kind of watched the Rangers last year and it was like, they went to the conference finals. They were heavy buyers at the deadline. They've already bought Tarasenko. Like they're they're the the fever there is like it's like awesome to see. Like that's the energy you want. Not hey, let's hold on to this first round pick that's going to be twenty sixth overall because hey, could be a boat. <laughs> well, I, I think that's why the why the Kane Taves thing intrigues me so much is just because I think you could you can have your cake and eat it too if you manage yeah. to convince them to come because I don't think you need to give up Nyes or a first round pick. Which it just would be a home run of a deadline. The other name before we, I know we want to talk some quickly talk some defensive candidates before we get off here, but the other name that I'd throw him forward, and I think he's getting probably not enough conversation because I genuinely believe Dubas is interested. Is Ivan Barbashev? Yes, which, he he would be. A, he's a player. I, I think, think his price is going to be expensive. It, yeah, I worry about the price. Uh, I also worry like he scored twenty six goals and sixty points last season. I don't know he blacked out last year. He's not that player, I don't think, every year. No. The the thing about that 2019 Cup run with him was that he was hugely important player for them, but he was not especially productive. Like, I think he had, like, six points or something. Yeah, he was I, good, though, but yeah. He was really good, though. Like, I remember when he missed a, a chunk of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I, don't, I think he missed two or three games in the final, and then he came back for Game 7, and he instantly played the most minutes of any Blues forward in Game 7. And I think that line with Sundquist and, and Steen led the team in expected goals. It's an amazing checking line. I think he'd instantly, instantly be their sixth best forward. Um, possibly as an overall player is probably better than bunting, uh, especially if you find some offensive confidence again. It's the only hesitance, again, is that you'd like a bit more of a track record of just recently strong production and historically strong playoff production, I think. But I think he's really interesting. Yeah, and I think to sum up there, I do think that they have some pieces to move around, at least. Like, you could... You know, in terms of you could put Kerfoot in on the second line left wing as much as I rip on it. You could do it to some degree and it's not like entirely pathetic. If you could build a really good third line, you could do the same thing with Yarncroc. I think you can shift guys like there's a little bit of flexibility. He's finally moved off of this Matthews and Marner Tavares Nylander thing, which is great. Like there is some ability to manipulate the lineup which one, he's shown more of a willingness to do now than previously. So that part is internal. But then in terms of the pieces that he's been given, I think he has a little bit more. So I, I think that plays into the forward mix too, is, is you can you can add any number of guys and you could really shift the lineup any which number of ways, which is really what you want in a playoff series. Because as we've seen over the years, it's like who's going cold this year? And part of that will then be on Keith to actually make adjustments come playoff time, which is a whole podcast in and of itself. And I'm not going to start that conversation because then we'll be here for another three hours, but we'll shift to defense here quickly. 
And I know we talked about the defense and loss of Muzzin, most likely, and how good Brody's been. And we probably have a locked-in pairing here with Brody and Riley. But beyond that, I would say the rest of it is very much up for grabs. Justin Hole obviously just got scratched. I put absolutely zero stock in Connor Timmons scoring the goal against Chicago. I put zero stock in Rasmus Sandin throwing a nice hit against Kent Janssen in Columbus. I think Timothy, Timothy Lilligren's really good. Mark Giordano is obviously very good. I just worry about how he's going to hold up over a playoff series. Or not a playoff series, but potentially a playoff series, but really a playoff run. And the the need for a defenseman is it entirely there. I just I look at it and say they need to get a needle mover needle mover. And I don't think Jake McCabe is that needle mover. Um, I think a lot of people watched him for the first time and nine seconds in he fell down and Nylander went down on a breakaway and scored. And they went, Oh, maybe he's not that good. But I've looked at this chart all season. And so he to me it nothing to do with the chart. I've I've watched enough Chicago games. I, he's never played a playoff game in his life. He's battled a ton of injuries in his career. I think he's a, a legitimate NHL player. I think he's a solid, reasonable enough defenseman. I just think he raises the floor on the team and not the ceiling. And it's going to cost a first round pick, apparently, or whatever, something insane, given the contract. I just I I can't if you're willing to give up a first round pick, then like go get a real player. Is where I agree. I'm at. I think, yep. I, like I was saying earlier with Meyer, I think Chikrin is that on the on the back end. Like they both, he's a legit stud, legit studs, and they address. Not only would they move the needle for this upcoming playoff run, they address a clear and glaring long term need. Like you're looking at the Leafs defense succession planning on it. It's like the post Muzzin Brody Giordano Leafs defense is going to be here in a year's time, yeah. right? And Chikrin's a top pairing stud. And he's, yeah. you can see around like Chikrin, Riley, Lilgren, maybe Sandin if he doesn't actually go in that deal or another deal. You can see the pieces that would be there to have a defense that could you can win with throughout this window, right? The biggest um, question is him staying healthy. But if exactly. he's healthy, yeah. I think he walks in and he's instantly the rest defenseman. Yeah. And to your point, for future succession planning, plus this playoff and all the other playoffs you would just get from him on this contract alone. Like you're pairing him with Lilligren in the future, maybe not this year, but in the future. And you try to make that work as a top pairing. And if your top pairing is settled, the rest of the defense comes into place at some point. I mean, the hardest part is the top pairing. It's not how do we scrounge together this third pairing to not embarrass themselves. It's how do we get top pairing of guys that can, that are actually significant. I think Lilligren is, is really good. Chikrin is very good. I I mean, I, this is a mass. This is why I know people are frustrated because he hasn't moved and his name has been out there for so long now. It's it's hitting a point where the move's going to happen and people are just going to be like, finally, I'm just glad it's over with. But there's a reason it's taking so long. He's a very good hockey player. And they have no no real rush to move him so long as he's willing to play yeah. hockey games for them and be as productive as he's been. He's been incredibly helpful this season in terms of maintaining or rising his stock. The other thing that's worth mentioning with him is that everything that I've been hearing is that the Coyotes, they know that this is such an important chip for them and cap space is so not an issue for them for the next couple of years that they, they would be willing to retain just to get like, the, the King's ransom they want for him. The idea of Chikrin alone sort of solidifying the future of your defense is intriguing enough. Now mix in that it might be three or three and a half million dollars for insane this playoff run insane. and two more. 
which Insane. is preposterous value. Like the way that in which that bolsters and enhances their, not just this year, but their window, which we still are, we want three or four more years of cracks of this, right? At a minimum, uh, he's huge for that. But I, I agree that the injury thing cannot go overstated. Like he had knee surgery in his draft year. It's the reason why he got drafted 16th overall instead of top five, like he, his talent deserved. Uh, he's had both knees redone. He's had a shoulder redone, ankles, wrists. He just, it's bonitis at this In point. In fairness, I mean, he's, he's been sick when he, so far, since coming back, he's actually been very, very he, good. He's always very good when he plays mostly. But the, you legitimately have to plan for 50 or 55 games from him. It's it's unrealistic otherwise. And then that, that's the question of how does he stack up? How does he hold up rather over a long playoff run? It's not like he plays easy minutes at an easy position. And there's no answer to this question. It's like either you go for it and you like he plays and you look like a genius or he gets hurt and then people are going to say, yeah, that's what he does. That's what, you know, it's like Jake Muzzin not playing this year. You go, yeah. Were you guys on, because that is a clear needle mover. And I think exactly what you're saying. I don't want just a guy on the blue line. I think McCabe shades a little bit too close to just a guy for me to give up assets for, significant assets for. Not that I think he's a poor defenseman or anything. I see the value if you could get him retained of having him sort of cost certainty with a decent, you know, four or five, maybe you could call him um, defenseman. Sure. I see it. But yeah, I guess the last candidate we should probably touch on before we wrap up is, is Gavrikov at needle moving level for either of you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> you also have team effect question there with Columbus being a carcass. So hard yeah. to, hard to say. Um, he was a solid player back when they were competitive my issue with that is that like you got the asking price, right? And you've got this like cult of NHL writers who are <laughs> determined to drive the asking price up on him. Um, and if you're bidding, a, you know, against Edmonton and, you know, whoever else, maybe LA, if they strike out on Chikrin, um, I just don't want to get in a bidding war for Vlad Gavrikov, right? Like I- I'm interested in adding him potentially, but like, Am I going to shell out for a guy that I'm not sure is a needle mover? Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm i willing to be in a bidding war for Chikrin, but I don't feel it the same for, for Gavrikov personally. So so I, I like Gavrikov. I, I do think the conversation on him um, has has gone too far like the wrong way. Um, I, like the comparisons to Ben Sherrod are nonsense. I, I don't oh, think yeah, they're rooted yeah. in reality at all. Um but to your point, I just I can't justify the price right now. It, I think the price is insane. It needs to come down. It but will. they're not. Yeah, I think a, so too. Not getting a first, a second, and a fourth, so, or whatever. The, the yeah, like I, like what are we doing here? What are we talking about? I, and like he's not even willing to talk extension right now. I mean, that's that's lunacy. I, I don't think to me that actually like uh, like the Felino trade didn't work out. But in terms of of the optics from the very start of, of trading a bevy of things for a player that's like pretty good, like solid, but not like a stud that would be in that conversation for me, it, you know, in just saying, and I defended the Felino trade and I understand that, but it's more the optics of trading for that level of player for that price, which is not to me commiserate with what it should cost to get him. Um, so I, I really like Gavrikov. I think he would be a good fit with Justin Hole as your shutdown pairing, which means you then get to play Giordano with Lilligren and you have 
the Riley Brody pairing. And to me, that's a very good defense. And I think part of the price conversation on Gavrikov is, I mean, we talked about it. Arizona doesn't have to move Chikrin. And if they don't move him, is is he the best D-man available? He might be. And that costs a lot. That's just the reality of it. The guy that I've started to um, really come around on is Matias Ekholm. But he's making a lot of money and he has some terms. So Nashville would have to retain. I have no idea if they'd be willing to do that. Matias Ekholm is better than Vladislav Gavikov. And he does have the legitimate playoff pedigree. Like he is legitimately a very good player. And I know that he's not the Chikrin, like turn your defense over to young players succession plan, but he could very much be the, the, the gap, like to bridge that gap between Brody's contract expiring soon and whatever's happening with Muzzin and Giordano and that situation, because he does have years left. He's 32. I, I think that he has a good amount of hockey left in him. He's massive. He's like six, four and your shutdown pairing right now would be Ekholm and Hole. And it's like six, four, six, three. Ekholm has the pedigree. He's fully capable of carrying a pairing. I think he's a really good player. And if you part with Hole in the summer, then you play Lilligren with Ekholm next year, which I think is great for him. Uh, two Swedish guys. He has a perfect veteran to learn from and play with. That means maybe if you have Sandine still, he plays and learns from Mark Giordano. And we saw how that worked for Lilligren. I like, I, I'm in love with that general idea. I think he's a total player. His name has started to pop up there. Nashville has finally come to this reality where they went, well, maybe Duchesne and Forsberg having career 40 plus goal seasons and you see Saros blacking out for 67 games wasn't like actually real, even though we still got our ass handed to us in the first round, regardless after those guys blacked out. So maybe we should probably sell a little bit. Like, would they be willing to trade McDonough? Because under the right cost, I, he would still very much be under that. He was a total stud for Tampa and their playoff runs. Like, he would, again, be in that category for me of, like, he's more of a needle mover than Gavrikov, I think. I think he, like, perfectly plugs into what you had with Muzzin. Yeah. You'd have you'd have to get a lot of McDonough's contract being eaten to even think about that. Whereas yeah, that, I, again, yeah. Whereas I think that... I mean, Matias Ekholm is, is a really good player. Like, I, I'd be yeah. on board with that all day. Um it's I don't know it's it's we're in this point in the trade deadline where the insiders are still reporting that a lot of these guys like everyone's asking prices of first and they just report it credulously and, and <laughs> right the, the the Lafferty like second round pick thing like I don't remember who reported that but like how were they not laughing like as they reported yeah. that right like and so the prices are going to come back to earth it's just a matter of you know, where you find yourself and are you in a bidding war are you the only one in on a guy obviously we talked about Kane and Taves as being that potential where you can get them to force their way to you at the end of the day I want just to make the team better right I mean it's it's a dumb thing to say but like there's so much debate about defense forward like you just got to get the best player that fits your team at the right price and there isn't one way to do this because everyone wants a forward. And I get that. Like they don't score in game sevens or game five in the bubble. So I absolutely understand the need for that. At the same time, Tampa's a crazy good offensive team. And like people that think that, you know, it, it's, this is just the perfect defense and there's no need to upgrade. Like Tampa's going to test you way more offensively than defensively this year, especially like, you, you got to be ready for that. And so if, if Chikrin's there, if Ekholm's there, you got to be willing to make a move if the price is right. So uh, 
I could see Dubas going either way. And what I'm fascinated about is that the rumors are all over the place. Like we got no idea what he really thinks. I mean, one day it's D one day it's forward. No one seems to really have a sense. So I feel like we're just going to wake up one day and, and there'll be moves and, and it might come out of nowhere. I hope that just means it's both. I think that he's aware of that. I think he's trying to figure out the best way to do that. I don't think he's dumb. I think he looks at the roster and says that this bottom six is legitimately bad and our defense probably needs a guy. And I think that there was probably a point in the season and many Leaf fans felt like this too. And there was even a point where I was like, hmm, where you looked at the defense and went like, there's like, this is good to go. Like they're rocking and rolling. But I think, I think anyone who's looked at it honestly over the past month can safely say, I'm not saying they'd be bad. I'm just saying you wouldn't feel good about it. You would have concerns. If they ran with this group, they're capable. They're fully capable. But I mean, you wouldn't feel good about it. And, until you got Ray Bork and Nick Lidstrom on your top pair, you can always improve, right? I mean, that's the thing yeah. about the deadline. Make your team better. And, and you're never set at any position. You, you've always got the opportunity to be a buyer. Because, look, we talk about this deadline. I mean, Boston, there's been rumors that they're – feeling good about their team, but like Tampa's going to make moves. They don't have the assets to make a big move that like they used to, but they're going to make tweaks. They're going to make tweaks in the bottom six, maybe Luke Shen too. And it's up to Dubas to answer and, and to, to improve the roster as well, because the team you're almost certain to play against is, is going to make moves. Uh, I guess I'm a little bit more categorical about, I think the whole, I was expecting Dubas to address the forward depth more in the off season, but I bought into the idea that the regular season is meaningless. This team's top four is good enough that they can coast into the playoffs and one of the top three seeds. And they've done exactly that. And the whole idea was that we're going to use the first uh, 60 games of the season to evaluate the depth areas of the roster, particularly up front. Um, And we've done that. And, we talked for 20 minutes off the top of the show about how nobody's really emerged internally to say this is a solved problem. I think he's it's dereliction of duty if he doesn't add a, a forward of consequence. Um, I can accept looking at the their D, you know, as far as seven or eight deep and saying, I think I'm reasonably com- comfortable if the right fit, the right needle mover isn't there. I'm comfortable going ahead as it is. But if he doesn't add, I think it's two forwards, one of which is, you know, a middle six forward, ideally who's someone who can play center and can sort of change the makeup of that bottom six, ideally. Uh, I, I think Dubas hasn't done his job correctly if he doesn't do that. I think it's it pretty as simple as. Yeah, if you don't add a forward, I think that's a fireball offense. There's not much else to say. But you need at least one. I prefer to. I would like a D-man as well while we're here. But... If you said pick one, I would say forward. If you said pick two, I'd say forward D-man. said get greedy, I'd say one middle six forward, one legitimate fourth line forward, and a defenseman. It's easy to say it's all fantasy camp nonsense, but it's like Joe Sackick went and did three separate transactions in which he got half retention on every single one of them and added Cogliano, Lekanen, and Manson at the deadline. And it's might be what's required here when you're staring down the gauntlet of Tampa Bay and Boston. And and that's the kind of thing that uh, fires me up. Like, people are talking about the moves and stuff. I'm like, like, like lock and load here. Like, let's go. Like that's, that's the deadline. It, uh, Tampa didn't 
didn't like mess around when they were winning cups. It was like we're paying we're paying the piper, Blake Coleman, Barclay Goodgrow, let's go. And people looked at the prices and laughed and then Tampa won a cup and then we never heard a word about it again. And I get you have to win and I get he might be a little trigger shy given the entirety of the Nick Felino situation and how that's viewed, but you have a good team. Tampa is this is year 4. Like they went to the cup 3 years in a row. Eventually they have to get gassed. They don't have the assets to keep pulling off these moves. Like it's just the cap world is not made for this planet. And if Tampa Bay is honest, I think if you caught them, if you gave Cooper truth serum and said, how do you actually feel about that? I think he probably feels like he stole the series last year. I think they were sure. I think they were dead in the water in third period of game six. They hadn't, I thought they were out of ideas. The Leafs had come back. They weren't creating anything. And then we all know the history of the Leafs and high sticks dating back to 93 and now 2021 with Alex Kerfoot or 22. I also think Vasilevsky was like the cup run is on the line. I'm going to be lights out. And he was. He was sick in game six. And, and, and that'll probably seven. decide the series as much as anything. We barely talk goaltending because what's the point in addressing it? There's not like, unless you're going and getting Thatcher Demko or something, there's no yeah. nothing to be done at the position right now except for hope for the best. But Playoff Matt Murray, baby. That'll probably decide the series <laughs> as much as anything, right? Yeah, that that's a, a pure waiting game. So to that, I say, I say screw it. Like You have the team. I mean... Nylander's looked as good as he's ever has. Matthews and Marner, I mean, if they're not at an age now where you're going for it, I don't know what you're waiting for. Tavares is still very much a really productive and good hockey player. I don't know how many years he has left of being this good, let alone respectable on a decline. I, you know, Brody, again, is in that same mold. I mean, how many good years does he have left? Riley, I won't say to that degree, but, you know. They have a complete rebuild of the defense. It's not long down the... Yeah, Giordano's 39 and he's in your top four. I mean, if you're, if you are half assing this, I just, I, and then they lose in the first round, I think that that pretty much sums it up. It'd be time for a fresh set of eyes, I think, at that point. But yeah, I actually do think Dubas has got something that's going to be fairly notable in store. I think the insiders to Alex's point don't have a clue what's going on. No. Uh, I listened to no. a ridiculous amount of hockey radio and listen to these guys idly speculate they have no idea what dubas is doing um i'm not sitting here and pretending to either but i expect something substantial i don't think it's unreasonable to um and i guess we'll see in three weeks and we can do another one to talk about it one of these pods maybe we won't wait six months this time no we're gonna do one after the deadline and see they're gonna be really fired up like nobody went to work that week or it's gonna be depressing and it's gonna be like a midnight rip sesh (laughs) we'll find out We'll see everyone soon. Thanks for joining us, Alec, Alex. That was awesome. Yeah, talk to you guys soon.